Good morning, all. Tom Moran from Tom's Big Spiders here on a windy Saturday morning. I'm going to apologize right off the bat for the quality of this one because we have uh, some incredible winds outside right now. I didn't see this one in the weather report, but unfortunately we're getting wind gusts up to like 40 miles per hour. So the house is shaking. We're getting quite a bit of, you know, background noise. So I apologize if you're listening to this and you have the the headphones on or the speakers turned up in your car and all you hear is wind in the background. I feel like I should be telling a scary story or something right now and not talking about spiders. But I... Not going to have time tomorrow because my daughter, we're having my daughter's birthday party, so I want to get this one done today. So we're going to forge ahead and hope I don't get interrupted too badly by the weather conditions. So to kick this one off, something really cool development in the past week and a half, actually about a week since the last podcast, um, I was contacted recently by... Josh Halter, who runs the company BioDude, some of you might be subscribers to him. He's got a YouTube channel, quite a few followers, and he does bioactive enclosures for reptiles and other exotic pets. And he's just started uh, or just launched his new line of substrate that's specifically formulated for tarantulas, spiders, centipedes, and scorpions. It's called Arania. And basically, he put a video up on his site and was advertising that this stuff is now available. They're starting to move into the tarantula hobby and for folks who want to do the bioactive enclosures. And I guess a couple people chimed in and said that he should contact me to try it out. So here we are. He did contact me. They have been amazing to work with. I don't usually do stuff like this, but I think anybody that's listened to my podcast for a little while knows that one of the things I've really wanted to try out and get into is the bioactive enclosures. I've, right now, I'm at a point in the hobby where I'm not going to be getting too, too many more species. I know I've seen all these YouTube unboxing videos. I get so jealous because I'm trying, we've done a lot of talking about the difference between somebody that's collecting tarantulas and a hoarder, and I refuse to go into hoarder territory. I have a, a huge collection as it is. I do have some males maturing out that I'll be getting rid of, and a, a couple that have already passed, and I have... A lot of species that I have doubles and triples of that I may be thinning out the herd eventually, kind of making space. So I will be getting more species, but overall my my collection is at a pretty good number right now. And a lot of the ones I picked up as slings are full grown, and I want to start getting them in some pretty enclosures. And I've seen some of the bioactive stuff out there. My buddy Ryan Mack and I have gone back and forth about bioactive enclosures now for quite a while. He does some absolutely gorgeous work with them. With the he makes beautiful enclosures first of all, first of all, and then just the work he does with the inside with the how he decorates them with the live plants and whatnot. It's just stunning to me and something I really want to try out. And with Tom's Big Spiders, I know one of the knocks I get sometimes from keepers is that I tend to only focus on beginner stuff, although I don't necessarily agree with that because I do think the hobby is such that there's there's not too much of a distance between beginners and experts. There's not too much you can deal with, honestly, uh, other than just the species care. And even once you get a handle on species care, it's it's not rocket science to figure out, you know, do the research, figure out what they need. But I do want to make sure that I start going, you know, doing some stuff for folks that have been in the hobby for a while to kind of show them some new things. And having been in the hobby for a little while myself, I want to start experimenting with some stuff. So the bioactive enclosures have been on my mind for quite some time. This is an awesome opportunity to get some stuff for it. I'm always on the lookout for new substrates. It's, it's been well documented that I had issues with the topsoil for the first time last winter, and I switched back to cocoa fiber, and, and it only took a few months, but now I remember why I honestly load the stuff and went away from it at the beginning. I shouldn't say load it. It's just it, I, it has some irritating qualities to it. I'm getting the the yellow fungus again. I'm starting to try to get some more cleaner insects in there. We're going to try to get some more of the springtails, see if that works. But I've, I have one enclosure. I put springtails in. I still got this fungus in. So we'll do, I think this opens up the bioactive enclosure stuff. If I get into this, 
And it's only going to be for certain species. I'm, I'm basically finishing up my tarantula room now so I can have a couple shelves all for these enclosures. I picked up some 12 by 12 exoterras, some exoterra nano talls. I'm looking at some more acrylic enclosures. So uh, we're going to really start sprucing some of these guys up and, and working with the plants and, and trying to come up with some really cool things. But uh, I think it's a great opportunity. It's a fun opportunity for me to go somewhere that I haven't gone before as far as the plants. Even just watching uh, his videos and how he sets them up and everything it's uh, Josh's videos. It's kind of got me nervous because this is something I haven't done before. I, Billy and I were on our walk the other day and we we're talking about this and we, I got a lot of stuff coming in from them and we kind of giggle because we both consider ourselves people who have black thumbs, like forget green thumbs, forget brown thumbs, like black thumbs, like anything we touch dies. We have a piece of lily in the middle of our table that I picked up because one of my favorite movies is Hot Fuzz and he carries around the, the lily with him all the time. I don't even know if the one on the table is the actual same thing, but that's what led to us getting it. And we've kept that alive, but those things are about as durable as you can get as far as plants are concerned. So I don't think that's any type of testament to my ability to keep plants alive. So we'll see how it goes. But anyway, it's going to it's gonna make for, I hope, for me, I'm excited to try it out. It's a whole new thing. And I mentioned before that part of the hobby for me is always wanting to learn. There's always stuff out there to learn, different species to try out, different techniques. There's always things you can re-examine and try to decide if you can do them differently or better. And in this case, one of the big knocks I get on my videos sometimes are from people from other countries, uh, Germans a lot. Again, we've mentioned before, and this isn't a, a blanket statement. People have told me flat out in Germany it's different, but they tend to put them in a lot more elaborate cages. They look at my little sterilite boxes and make fun of me. And I get it. I always have it. I don't take offense to it. It's just a different, you know, the spider, bottom line, it always, for me, it always comes down to the spider. Is the spider comfortable? Is the spider healthy? What got me really thinking about the bioactive enclosures is the talks of using the different positive bacteria to combat the negative bacteria. And I don't know the correct term. Somebody out there is going to go jump right in and go, Tom doesn't know his science. No, I don't. I'll throw it right out there. I try to admit when I'm, you know, not as good at something. Buddy Ryan could probably belt it out. I'm sure Josh could belt it out. And I am going to do some interviews with both of them as we go ahead to hopefully get more information about this. But one of the big concerns I've had just keeping things for a while is specifically species where we pour water in all the time. One of the rules of thumb with tarantulas is they're very clean animals and they don't need to be cleaned very often. And I've always prescribed that as I've gone in the hobby. But the more I started thinking about it, there are species that are literally just sitting in small containers of dirt. And we repeatedly drop, you know, prey items in, they molt, we pour water in, especially the moisture-dependent species is what I'm really thinking of. We pour water in over and over and over again. That can't be the cleanest environment. There's not a natural, you know, there aren't natural uh, fungi or bacteria working to keep that all clean. And so I started giving a lot of thought to the fact that maybe i got to revisit the idea that you only need to clean all species, you know, every so often or just spot clean. I know with species, uh, I, I think when this rule came out is when people were keeping a lot of Phonopelma, Brachypelma, um, Gramostola species, which obviously you, you drop in a tray of dirt. And if you spot clean and just scoop out the poop every once in a while, they really are clean. There's no issues there, but you're not adding water to them. It, they're not burrowing in most instances. So that's a, a kind of a different scenario than maybe you have a Kilobrachis species that's burrowing. I, I know I had my Kilobrachis Vietnam blue that I have for quite some time that died recently. And I started worrying about whether it was bacteria. She kind of just, she was eating fine. She molted. She was doing great. Next thing I know it, she's climbed out and sitting on the surface. I'm like, well, this isn't good. Next thing I know it, she's around the water dish. A couple of days later, she was not looking good. And then she was dead. And I was like heartbroken because she wasn't that old. And I started wondering what might lead to this besides just a bad molt. We always, you know, a lot of times when something goes wrong with a spider, we attribute it to a bad molt. 
And that definitely could have been the case, but she was kept moist. But I started thinking, like, what what is it like in that burrow? Who knows what's festering down there? Who knows if a prey item didn't go, get down there and die? It, it, it can happen. And then you have the introduction of possible harmful bacteria. And again, we've we've gone over ad nauseum that they're not the most expressive animals on the planet. So it can be difficult to tell if something's wrong with them until it's too late. And even when we can tell something's wrong with them can be very difficult to diagnose what the problem is. So when hearing about the bioactive enclosures and some of the thoughts that the actual, you know, the, the enclosure will regulate itself, that's very attractive to me, especially with species that I need to keep moist, especially with fossorial uh, species. That's something that makes me want to go out and try it. So aesthetics aside, there could actually be a, a purpose for this beyond just it looking pretty. It could actually be beneficial to the spider. And that's what really gets me interested in wanting to try a couple of these out. As the wind whips up in the background, holy crud, sorry for anybody listening with earphones. I don't know how loud that is, but it is really whipping up up here. So anyway, I on Friday, we or Thursday, Billy and I received our first package. It was sent overnight. It was a bunch of the plants, and I can't even begin to tell you how excited we are. I mean, just beautiful plants. I really, I've always wanted to do something with plants. I like plants. I'm just terrible at them. So again, I'm a little worried how this is going to go, but hopefully I have some buddies in the hobby that can coach me through it. But we shot the first video of those. Then we have another box coming that includes the soil, the leaf litter, the bio shot, the stuff that you actually add in, the bacteria that activate everything and keep everything going smoothly, um, cork bar, all bunch of stuff. It's going to be amazing, and I'm really excited about it. So, again, I, I don't want anybody to think in a million years I'm just going to move away and stop doing the beginner stuff. That's that's where I'm needed as far as I'm concerned in, in the hobby. The most people I, a lot of the people I talk to, a lot of them now have been in the hobby a while, so now kind of equal on those grounds. But uh, the beginners, I think, still need somebody they can go to and comfortably and ask questions. So that's never going away. But I would like to expand a bit and start doing some more advanced stuff, even just for myself. It's going to be fun, and, of course, I'll document it. And as we get more into this, again, we'll try to hook up some interviews with people because I don't know what I'm talking about as far as bioactives. I only have a very shallow knowledge of what they do and how they work, and that's only from talking to my buddy Ryan. Honestly, I did a little research on it, but I go to him when I really want to ask questions. And I'm not in the business of talking about things that I know nothing about. So using that as a segue, what we're going to do today is review, we'll see how it goes, but a couple of books I picked up on tarantula care. Recently, I had somebody that said they found my site from a tarantula book, their care book they read, which I thought was really cool because I had no idea I was in it or mentioned, but I guess I was in the, well, we'll get to that in a moment. But um, some of the information that they gave me that they learned from this book obviously contradicted what I had been saying. And it turned into an interesting discussion about are there any good books out there? And, and a couple times I've been asked by people, hey, are you aware of any good tarantula books out there that I should pick up? And obviously the Tarantula, tarantula Keeper's Guide, which was for a long time referred to as the Tarantula Keeper's Bible, still has some awesome information in it. It is, I mean, it's funny because I got into the hobby when people were still pushing this. Like anybody who can't ask a question was like, go pick up the Tarantula Keeper's Guide. Go pick up the Tarantula Keeper's Guide. You'll never have to ask another question. Unfortunately, it's quite old now, and the hobby has luckily grown in leaps and bounds since that the last edition was out, and we've picked up a lot more knowledge. So it is outdated in some respects. Um, off the top of my head, I know the one that really drives me nuts because people will come to me and go, yeah, I want to pick up a, a Theraphosa Sturmy, but I read in the Tarantula Keeper's Guide that they're swamp dwellers, and I'm worried about how to keep it super swampy in there. So that term I wish would go away and I never have to hear it again, and that was introduced in the Tarantula Keeper's Guide. There's also stuff in there about handling that many uh, keepers nowadays would not quite agree with. Again, I'm not 
you know, I don't wait, wait into this debate, and I, I do see both sides of it, but a lot of people feel like in a book for beginners, we shouldn't have a whole chapter telling them how to do it. That's like basically giving them a go-ahead and telling them that's what we do. But overall, it is a beautiful book. It's it's one that I still page through every once in a while, more for fun, just kind of flick through like, oh, yeah, I remember the good old days when I didn't know that. But uh, again, outdated. One really good book I did pick up back in the day was Tarantulas. I think it was the... Animal Planet Pet Care Library, and it was by Michael Jacoby, who has actually been, used to be a dealer in tarantulas, he's done research on tarantulas, this guy knows his stuff, and I remember it being a, a fantastically good book, rather quick read, great information, and I will go back and re-review it and reread it, I didn't for this one because I had my hands full with the ones I'm about to do today, but that's one I can probably still recommend without reservations at all, I just thought, it, he, the guy knows his stuff, He's he's been important to the hobby for many, many years. I do believe he's like editor-in-chief of the British Tarantula Society uh, magazine that they put out, which is absolutely fantastic. There's a reason to join the British Tarantula Society right there. So good dude, very knowledgeable, good book. However, now that we've spoken about a couple good books, let's go on to books that may not be so good. So the first one I ended up picking up was Tarantula Spiders as Pets, The Ultimate Tarantula Owner's Guide. And this one is by Lolly Brown. Now, before I even started, I clicked on Lolly Brown because I hadn't been familiar with the name and the hobby. Because generally speaking, if I want information on tarantulas, I'm going to want information on tarantulas from people who actually keep tarantulas. And I don't know if Lolly Brown has kept tarantulas, but she has written, oh gosh, I think I lost track of around 80, 90 books on specific care for from all different species ranging from, let's see what we got here. We got... Uh, Corgis as pets, um, some type of fish whose name I can't pronounce. Uh, you name it, she has written a book. I'm not going to get into that part of it. And a lifelong animal lover, Lolly Brown is equally comfortable writing about exotic creatures like the Mexican axolotl or dispensing practical advice to dog owners about kennel cough. So she's she's obviously got a lot of uh, knowledge and experience. Unfortunately, just not with tarantulas. And and this is going to be a bit tongue-in-cheek. I don't, I don't like doing negative things, so to speak. But somebody asked me recently what my biggest pet peeve was in the hobby. And by far, my biggest pet peeve in the hobby right now and will forever be the continued spreading of misinformation. And one of the biggest ones I have is people regurgitating information that isn't their own. They go out – basically what I mean by this is – they don't read something, go home, try it out with their animals, and then report from personal experience. They don't have the experience. They read about somebody else's experience, and then they turn around and regurgitate it. And usually it's half-digested. It's not original. It's not exactly what the original person said or what happened, and that's how this misinformation starts to spread. So I am, I am hugely against people writing about anything that they don't know anything about. And to put that in perspective, as I was telling my wife, it would be like me going out on my bicycle and going, oh, you know what? I'm going to write a book on high-performance motorcycles and, and which ones to get and how to ride. And then I'm just going to do all my research online and just basically regurgitate what other people have said because I haven't ridden a motorcycle. It drives me nuts. So I, I, I'll admit when I clicked on this one, I already was a little bit biased against it because I, she seemed to have like – a lot of animals she was reporting to have knowledge on, and I can't picture somebody owning all of these animals, but who knows? So you don't want to judge. So I get into the book. Now, here's the deal. I'm Again, I don't like doing the negative stuff. This one's going to be pretty negative because there really wasn't much positive to pull out of it. 
there's an old saying out there that a broken clock is right twice, and I always love that one because it's like somebody will do something completely wrong and somebody will go, well, but they said this right. Well, yep, and broken clock is actually right twice a day depending on which hour it stopped at, you know. So we're going to kind of go by this law here while going through this book, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I will point out a couple of the positive things I found in it, but I will tell you right now my verdict on this book is it is utter trash. And I don't, again, anybody that's listened to me for years knows I'm not a negative person, but this kind of got, we're, we're sitting in bed reading and I like, it, it turned into like watching a comedy. Like I kept telling Billy, you got to read this one. You got to read this one. And she's been around long enough and been with me in the hobby long enough now to recognize that some of this stuff is complete and utter BS. And so we're kind of laughing at it. And then on our walk, I read a little bit more of it the other day and on our walk, we we're laughing about some of the stuff that was said in it. So this one pretty much kicks off the entire book for me. Like I didn't really, if I was buying this book and I didn't want to spend the time actually reading it, I could have stopped right here. But one of the first quotes in the book that I highlighted is about tarantulas. They are predatory, venomous, dangerous, territorial. And while many of the tarantulas being kept are being touted as docile and non-aggressive, under the right circumstances, even the most docile of these creatures can turn aggressive or defensive. For crying out loud, woman. I mean, I understand that we have to, and I do this, like I, I want people to understand that even the most docile uh, tarantulas out there can have problems, can be defensive. You know, they, there's even one case out there that I read of a Eulathus species that would throw up a threat pose. It was one everybody was giggling about because nobody could ever, you know, imagine that. But they're not overall, I don't like to ever call them aggressive. That is one word I have a very difficult time with. I see a lot of uh, instances of people that don't have their tarantulas set up correctly. They're in too small enclosures. They feel threatened as soon as the enclosure is opened, and therefore they appear to be aggressive in attack. No, that's defensive behaviors. Tarantulas in the wild aren't going to just walk up to some human being and attack them for no reason. They feel threatened, so they are defending themselves. There is a difference. Aggressive is something going out to attack you. Can they appear scary? Yes, they can. Are they going to attack you if they are secure or can, or can bolt? In most instances, no. Are there instances of transgender? You know, OBT always comes up. HMAC comes up a bit. But um, they are species that are known to stand their ground and, and attack quite a bit and with much enthusiasm. However, it's it all comes down to defensiveness. They're scared. They don't, they're, they're, basically defending themselves in the wild a creature like us approaching them usually means that they're probably going to be turned into a meal or kill so that's important to remember so she starts it off right off the bat with something that i'm not particularly happy with and honestly i could almost forgive this and because I, if you think about it you're on the side of caution and she might be thinking, all right, I want people to know these aren't toys, which is good because I've often, you know, argued that myself, that these aren't cuddly little like gerbils or anything like that. They're not toys. They're not to be trifled with. So in a way, she's going a little overboard, but that could be positive. However, we move down the line a little bit, read a little bit further into the book, and she provides us with this gem. Some people can have strong allergic reaction to tarantula venom, and some species have venom that can be fatal for humans. I'm sorry, What? This is the one where I was like, all right, I'm done with this. I almost actually, I am going to put a, a review up on Amazon because I'm hoping nobody buys this crap, quite frankly. And I don't, I would never attack anybody personally, but this individual needs to stay in her lane as far as pet care. I, I, I am suspect about the rest of the pet book she has up there, how much she really knows about them. Um, unfortunately, people will buy these pet care books and they'll appreciate the author's voice and be like, oh, she's nice. She has good you know, information, but they don't know any better. So I will definitely be putting a review up there, but this is just total misinformation. This is garbage, and it really upset me to see this because obviously she started off by saying they can be dangerous, 
And now she's going to say they're lethal. Obviously, anybody that's done their research knows there have been very few deaths attributed to actual tarantulas. And of the deaths, I believe one of them was from gangrene. One of them was bit, I believe it was a child bit on the back of a neck by one. And still, there's not enough medical data to prove it was the venom. But overall, they are not considered to be fatal. And I believe she uses fatal quite a bit in this book. So she drives home the point. This is a woman writing a book for people who potentially want to keep tarantulas who spends a lot of time explaining how dangerous and lethal they can be, which is garbage. So right there, I don't care what other information she has in this book. That irritates me because that is flat out wrong. You did not whatever websites you were researching, you didn't do enough research. Obviously, I I doubt she's even kept these animals. Maybe she kept one or two, but not for very long. I'm sure this was like the flavor of the week. Hey, what new animal can I write a book about? Oh, I'll get a tarantula. It'll be fun. Um, she didn't put a lot into this, so I obviously right there would be a spot where I'd just be like, don't even bother reading this book. However, I did, to be fair. I read the entire thing, so let's see what else we have moving on. So a little bit later on in the book, she doesn't want us to forget the fact that we're getting an animal that can kill us, our dogs, our family, all our loved ones. She says, please keep in mind that you are dealing with a potentially dangerous and even lethal creature, and they can become doubly more aggressive. What? Like... I just don't understand how you decide to write a book about animals when you obviously have a bias toward them. This isn't somebody that went, oh, they're cute and cuddly. Apparently, in all her research, because again, I don't believe for a moment she's kept spiders for any length of time. In all of her research, she didn't find anything that discounted this. It's, there's a lot of stuff out there. Heck, I've written stuff about it. I don't understand why somebody would go out and write a book when they don't know what they're talking about and have an obvious bias toward the creature they're writing about. It doesn't make any sense. Billy and I have four dogs, three of which are rescue, uh, four, all four are rescues, three of which are pit bull crosses. And I'm sure some people are right out there right now listening to this, like, oh dear, here we go. Um, I, if I were to write a book on pit bull care and adopting pit bulls, I would have to put warnings in there about just their personality types. They're strong-willed, you know, around other animals. When you get a rescue, you never know how they're going to be. You take them to the dog park, next thing you know, they could be latched on. Now, mine, I lucked out, mine are absolute pussycats as far as it comes to dogs and I know a lot of people with pit bulls will say that but I really I've been around animals my entire life grew up on a farm used to tame down wild animals for fun because I was kind of a dorky kid that you know didn't socialize a lot I I understand animals are they for everyone no they're not and any book about adopting them I think should state the fact that they need a strong-willed owner they need somebody that knows how to you know handle their exuberant personalities know is aware of what they can do when they do get into a fight or a scrap I think that's important but this is going overboard this would be like me writing a book on pit bulls and spending a whole chapter talking about how many people die by pit bull, pit bull bites how they will kill your babies how they will kill, it just doesn't make any sense to me so moving on we'll get off of that but there's other quotes in the book that talk about them being lethal and dangerous and nasty and like if I had known nothing about spiders I'd be afraid to get any after this so let's get into some of her husbandry information because that's my bread and butter that's what I spend a lot of time talking about that's the stuff that really drives me nuts when people get it wrong so let's just pick a few little gems to go through and talk about how Miss Lolly Brown tells us to care for our tarantulas about the subject of handling which we talked about a little earlier she does have some thoughts. Uh, she doesn't seem to be pro-handling, which is good, or basically says you need to know what you're doing if you handle, which I, I agree with that. But she does make the comment that uh, species can be docile and skittish, but will become more aggressive if handled too frequently. 
Not sure where that one came from. Um, that's not something I've ever heard. In fact, I've heard some compelling evidence recently that that is actually the opposite in some species, that they may cotton to handling or be conditioned to accept handling is not a dangerous thing. And I'm not going to get into that right now. But where is this coming from? If you, ha- I, I get, again, I think this is the doom and gloom approach where she's trying to make sure nobody reads her book, goes out, cuddles with the tarantula and gets bit. So she's talking about them being aggressive, lethal. And now if you touch them too much, they're going to bite you. It, it, it could happen at any time. It isn't that they turn more aggressive. You could have a G. rosea that's perfectly fine, sits in your hand. She's gorgeous. I knew somebody would put theirs in their hand and pet its butt, and it would sit there like, ooh, this is great. And then later on it molted, and it turned into a, a, a little crazy spider. So it, it all depends on the species, the day, the temperament, whether it's getting a feeding response. There's a lot of things. But you're not going to turn them aggressive or defensive normally by handling them. That's a little bit silly. Now, next up is probably my favorite quote out of the entire book. This was the one I almost, I think I woke Billy up because I was laughing so hard at it. And uh, we had a good chuckle over it. She gets into talking about communals. Now, why we are talking about communal tarantulas and basically a beginner's guide, I have no idea. If you mention them, it should be something along the lines of don't bother trying communal right now because the species they're best for it would be obviously old world species and they shouldn't be keeping them in the first. Well, okay, I shouldn't say that, but most beginners aren't going to be looking at those right away, especially after she's told them they're lethal. But let's read this quote here and there might be a moment of silence afterwards. So I just allow you guys a chance to like digest it think about it. While there are more advanced hobbyists and keepers who can responsibly provide a communal setup for their tarantulas, this is not really recommended for beginners. You would have to have several years of experience with each particular species, not species, to make sure that the keeping more than one of them together will not result in aggression, fights, or cases of cannibalism. Regardless of what information you may gather about each species or how they treat each other, One can never be sure when it comes to individual spiders, particularly ones kept in captivity and in close proximity to each other. So let's process that for a moment. She's telling you that you have to keep species for a while to try to figure out if they may be kept together communally. No, Lolly, that is not correct. We have a pretty good comprehensive uh, comprehensive list out there of species that will tolerate being kept together in a communal setup. If somebody digs and does enough homework, they can find what the rules, we'll call quote-unquote rules, are for these species because some of them you have to keep kind of cramped. Some of them need more space. You have, obviously, the Monocentropus balfouri that seem to do well regardless in most instances. So this is mind-boggling to me if she, that she'd even bring this up at this point and insinuate that you could actually keep them together. That's just wrong, again. So uh, trying not – I know this is super, super negative, but it's also kind of funny, and I'm hoping people are getting a kick out of it. But this is how misinformation gets spread. All it takes, a few people to pick up this book, recommend it to their friends who are getting in the hobby, and next thing you know, we got all types of misinformation out there that we all have to work together to kind of you know, stamp out. Now, back to the husbandry information she supplies. She put a rule in here that isn't awful. It's not actually correct, but she put as a general rule, however, temperatures for tarantulas should be kept somewhere between 70 and 80 degrees Fahrenheit with nighttime temperatures a bit cooler, but no cases exceeding 80 degrees for extended periods of time. Okay, so 
not terrible because I do think a lot of people think they have to keep these guys a lot warmer than they actually do. And 70 is a decent starting point. I would honestly argue at this point, after having several years of experience with them, that you could go down to most cases 65. You're going to get slower metabolism, but it's not going to harm the tarantulas. A lot of the ones we keep do. Uh, find themselves in weather that is much cooler than we'd normally expect them to be in. As far as 80 as a cap, that's not true at all. I've spoken to many keepers that keep their tarantulas a lot higher than that, especially ones in the warmer states and warmer climes. So, for example, I know somebody that keeps theirs at 85 most of the year. They do fine. I would argue that above 90, you're running for a length of time. You could run into some problems. That has always been something, that kind of a rule of thumb, that if you get up in the 90s, it's getting a bit warm. And I did speak to somebody two summers ago that, unfortunately, her air condition quit. And her spiders were in a room that hit like 92 to 95 for a while, and she lost quite a few of them. Mostly it's going to be from dehydration, but they do get stressed. The couple times I've seen it hit the high 80s in my tarantula room, they're all out and about. So they obviously register the heat, and they don't seem to be particularly comfortable in it. But I wouldn't go by that 80-degree rule. However, what makes this incredibly funny to me is that she does these specific temperatures and humidity requirements, which drive me nuts for certain species. And one of the species she covers is the C. cayennial pubicens, or the GBB green bottle blue. And here's what she says about the green bottle blue. Habitat requirements. Keep at temperatures of 80 to 90 degree Fahrenheit and humidity levels at 40 to 60 percent. Okay, so you tell us to keep this spider at 90 degrees, which might I point out is ridiculous. I would not keep anything. There's nothing out there that needs to be, I'll say that flat out. There's nothing out there that we know of right now that needs to be kept at 90 degrees. And in the majority of instances, that would be something that would stress the spiders. So just to encapsulate, I won't bother hitting any more of the points on that, but her actual species husbandry is, is deplorable. She talks about spraying for the arid species to keep humidity up. And even after mentioning the fact that some species, even the arid ones, which I thought was a good point, although they live in arid conditions, will burrow to find the moisture. And she brings this point up, which is great, but then proceeds to tell you to spray. Another thing that she says later on when talking about their general care, which really irked me, was she was describing basically a setup for them, which again, all, the, this book did not really provide a lot of information about what to put them in. There wasn't a lot of mention of dram bottles for slings or the differentiation between sling enclosures. Adult, there just isn't. It's a lot of shallow information. It's a lot of information from somebody who probably read a bunch of other articles and stole stuff from it and tried to make their own book about it. But she says they require a locking screen top with an under-tank heat pad. Yep, you heard right. A screen top. Later on, she actually specifically says they need good ventilation and says you should use wire mesh, which anybody that knows anything about tarantulas and tarantula enclosures, wire mesh is absolutely the worst thing you can use. They have little toe claws. They will go climbing, and their toe claws become caught in the wire mesh, and they can be left dangling. It has led to dead spiders, lost limbs. It's not a safe thing to use with tarantulas. It's like a a huge no-no. It's up there like with sponges as far as things people tell you to use for tarantulas that aren't good for them. And then the heat mat, for crying out loud. Like, I'm so done with the heat mat stuff. I did read another book that we might not get to this time because there's just too much juicy information in this one that talked about heat mats and using them on the side, which at least that was good. They said if you needed it, you put them up on the side so that they can't burrow down and just sit on top of the heat mat. But she's telling you flat out to use screen tops, which are dangerous, and to use heat mats, which we all know are dangerous. So 
terrible husbandry advice there. Right there, the book is, is not only not worth the price you pay for it, but she's it's it's become a liability. You're telling people to set your animals up wrong and in a way that's going to pose danger to them. So from beginning to end, I have, I'm only hitting some of the highlights on this one because there are so many of them. She miss uh, one of my favorite parts of this is when she starts talking about different species, like her beginner's list, which is actually decent. It's not, I don't disagree. She mentions um, the Ecampistratus, the pink zebra beauty. And this was one of my favorite things in the whole thing. More commonly known as the pink zebra beauty, it is often confused with the Chaco goldeny. But its distinguishing characteristic is the brownish black and yellow striped markings near the knee, as opposed to the whitish markings on the Chaco goldeny. So just to be clear, she's saying that the Chaco goldeny, golden knee, is known for its white markings on the knee, while the E. Campistratus is known for the golden stripes. What in Lord's name, like, why bother talking about things that you don't know anything about? That's what this comes down to. What are you talking about? Chaco golden knees are recognized for their beautiful, gorgeous, I have four of them, I love them, one of my favorite species. They're easy to recognize for those golden knees, hence the name golden knees. They're not called Chaco white knees, and Ecampistratus are not known for the golden knees, so that is ridiculous. She also talks about the pink tra- toe tarantula, Avicularia versicolor, and then proceeds to talk about the general Avicularia, Avicularia species. So she's confused about her species there. So again, this book from cover to cover, I would, it's only like four bucks, I think. So anybody that's been in the hobby for a while, I read it and it was like a comedy book. And luckily I was able to, I, I know I'm probably coming across as ridiculously snarky and I do I do have concerns about doing these type of things because it's me being negative, but I, I, it's nice to have an outlet sometimes because I'm privy to so much misinformation and sometimes, you know, keepers approach me with stuff they've done that is really bad and I have to hold my tongue because again we're, we're educating we're not going to hold things against people but sometimes some of the stuff is so bad and so ridiculous and so against common sense that I you know Billy has to listen to the me you know whine about it all frustrated because why, why can't they just do a little research and this is a, a kind of a fun way for me to get it out of my system so God, what a garbage book. I can't even begin to tell you all. It's uh, Again, I've got literally one. I'm going to scan through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 48 comments that I made on this and highlights I made in my Kindle edition of things that were wrong. And at one point, I ended up stopping. I didn't even bother doing it anymore because it was like beating a dead horse. Like, what is the point right now? I've got enough information. The book's garbage. I would not encourage anybody to buy it unless you're going to buy it for a joke. If you want to buy it for a joke and you know post some of your gems, that's great. But again, I know what it takes to write a book. I used to write fiction. I've written a lot of long things. I've obviously written the articles of Tom's Big Spiders. They're not perfect, but I I get what it's like to write something and put it out there. It's a craft. Some people will call it an art. However, when you're writing something that is going to basically be used by people to take care of their animals and you're giving information that could actually lead to the deaths of these animals, I'm sorry, I have no sympathy for you whatsoever. There's no, I I hope I hurt your business. Let's put it that way. And I never would do that to anybody. Even I've worked with companies before. I give them so much leeway and so many chances to make good when something goes wrong. Or And I, and I get the idea of you've, you've created this piece of work, we'll call it fiction, and you want to sell it and make money off it. But no, I'm sorry, not off of animals that are going to suffer because you decide your flavor of the week is a tarantula 
financial care book. Not, I'm not into it. So I, I gave a lot of thought about this. I was telling Billy, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to do a podcast on some of these books I'm reading because I think word needs to get out. And I think people need to realize that there is a, there are a lot of folks out there that unfortunately will try to prey upon your ignorance and get your money to make a buck off of the animals that you want to keep. And it's just not okay. So just to really drive home how bad this book is. One of the things I do want to cover is the actual sources she used when writing this book. Because when I got to the end and I'm like, what in God's name? Like, where did she come up with this stuff? And it was a bit of an eye opener for me because number one, most of her stuff is apparently coming from Wikipedia because obviously we all know that Wikipedia is a great place to get good information on everything. You know, it's not like we're teaching in schools. Like right now I, I work in a, a high school where kids are writing, you know, reports on World War One, for example, and they are banned from using anything off Wikipedia. There's a reason because we can go on Wikipedia and edit that any way we want. I told the story, I think I told this story before where I worked with a teacher, a history teacher, and he was giving a report on the basically American Revolution and things of that nature. And he, one of the reports was to talk about the Declaration of Independence. And he and I went in and edited Wikipedia one day to add both of us as original signers of the American uh, Declaration of Independence. And one of his kids actually brought the paper to him, printed out with our names on it. No joke. It, it was the funniest, one of the funniest moments of my teaching career where he called me up and he's like, you have to see this paper. And of course, it eventually got caught and taken down, but it took a little while. So this kid came in and put one of the questions was talk about the people who signed it and they talked about us. So it, that is not a viable source. But we've got um, some of the articles we go through here. We got one off tarantulacages.com. That's a good place to go. Actually, I think they did have decent information. If it's a place I'm thinking of, it was okay. Uh, Brazilian Guide to uh, Brazilian Black Tarantula. Um, what else we got here? Let's see. Wikipedia. Some more Wikipedia. And then we've got Mike, Mike's Basic Tarantulas. I actually like Mike and his stuff. I think a lot of us go there sometimes when we get new species. He's kept a lot of species. He only reports on what he actually keeps, which I love. It was kind of a role model for me when I started doing uh, getting more serious about these. And paging through. Oh, here we go. Sexing Tarantulas Using Molts by Concerides which was actually my name on my website, Tom's Big Spider. So she actually got some information from my website. And this really kind of hurts my heart to know that this is what she got out of it. Like I have to go back and read this book now and figure out where she, where this information worked its way in. Maybe it's some of the right stuff. Who knows? Oh, here's another one. Tarantula feeding. What, when, and how much to feed by Concerides. That would be me. That was my name again on my website. Uh, Tom's Big Spiders. So she's gotten some of this information from me and somehow my information worked its way into a book where it's just full of misinformation. That actually absolutely pains me. And then a couple of the ones I see, which I won't mention by name only because I, I don't want this to become any more negative than it is, but a couple of the places she lists as sources of information for her care, I have actually been on the site before. And one of them, I was on the site when I was talking about how to tell good information from bad information. And this one fell under bad information. These are not places you want to pull information from. So let's just... That right there, flat out, is a, a perfect illustration of the problem we have in the hobby with misinformation because there is this website where the information has been supplied by a keeper that has not kept these species, that is, again, regurgitating information, and many of those care sheets, I will say flat out, had misinformation were wrong. Now, this author comes along to write a book, goes onto this site, 
takes that misinformation, puts it in her book, and now it's spreading. And that's how this happens. It's like a nasty little disease of misinformation where one person puts it up, another person latches onto it, doesn't bother to do any research to find out if the information is good or not, and they just vomit it up. And this is exactly what I'm talking about and why I get so angry because a lot of time, I, my day, I spend so much time answering emails and stuff about stuff, which I don't mind, and I don't want this to come across as negative. I do enjoy doing that. Even some of the, the silliest questions, it's, I feel like I'm helping. I feel like I'm helping the key. I feel like they know now that there's better information out there. I feel like I'm helping the animals, so I, I don't mind that. The problem is there's a lot of times where I'm combating misinformation, and that takes a lot of time too, and it's ridiculous. And this is why I kind of get a little cranky when it comes up to people that put up information or do you know instructional videos or instructional websites that really don't know what they're talking about. It doesn't benefit anything. You, Yeah, sure, you get a couple people on and they give you a thumbs up and they like your stuff, but overall you're doing a, a huge disservice to the hobby you supposedly like. So in the case of this book, um, bottom line, uh, the author, she doesn't care about tarantulas at all. I did read her bio and she talks about when she gets interested in animals, she picks up a couple of them so she can experience it. So I'm sure she went out, bought a couple, you know, basic tarantulas, kept them for a week and made her an expert. She did some research. Um, it looks like by luck of the draw, she ended up on my site for a couple of them, but a lot of them, it was Wikipedia and another site that the information is just not good and now we have this book out there that a couple people bought and a good thing is it looks like a couple people bought it and recognized that it was terrible and gave it a terrible review I will be giving it a terrible review myself because I don't want anybody picking this garbage up and spreading this misinformation so unfortunately that's probably going to do it for this one I actually read four books believe it or not and so maybe we'll just space these out and do one every once in a while or maybe I'll do another the other one I'm doing is will be shorter because it was A it was much much shorter in length B it was so bad that I honestly am not going to bother to pick out a lot of quotes from it some of the stuff in it was just mind-bogglingly bad um, and C I don't want to spend a lot of time being super negative but I do hope there's a lesson to be learned about this that this is why we need to police ourselves as a hobby, and I, I firmly believe this. There's a difference between shooting down somebody's hard work and politely pointing out that somebody is spreading misinformation. I'm not telling people to go out there and bash other people that are keeping because there are, and we talk about it all the time, there are many different ways to keep these guys that could be considered quote-unquote correct. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is people that are speaking about stuff that don't have an adequate knowledge or experience base to be talking about them because again I, I akin it to I could go out and write a book on motorcycles and I could pull information offline I'm not going to be able to tell somebody that knows nothing about motorcycles I'm not going to be able to tell which of them that information is good or not I bet you if I were to do that there would be a lot of stuff in there that serious bike enthusiasts would tear apart so you really can't write a book on this stuff if you don't know enough about them just Picking two of them up and talking to a couple people and doing research is not enough. So let's police ourselves. Let's point out when information is not in a polite manner. Like, oh, you know what? I, I disagree with that. We don't need heat mats for all of our transfers. We should not be using screen tops. We don't need sponges in the water dish. I actually had that argument with somebody the other day, and the guy didn't believe me. Like, He's like, nope, they'll drown. And they are, oh, no, it wasn't they'll drown. I'm sorry. They won't be able to get the water out because they stick their fangs in it and use it as straws. I kid you not. So I think it's up to us as hobbyists to kind of point this stuff out, to help people, but be polite about it. I'm not about tearing anybody down personally, although I will admit to being a bit angry that this woman basically butted into our hobby with her trash to make extra bucks so she can tell everybody, I write books about exotic animals and they're amazing. I, I, 
that really irritates me. That shows, I don't know, I'm not going to get into it and bashing her character, but I just don't understand that line of thinking myself. But let's be polite about it. I think that's first and foremost. The key is to not tear people down or attack people personally, but to point, politely point out when something put out there is blatantly wrong. Nicely. Again, there's no point in being venomous about it. <laughs> well, no pun intended. It, it, it's about making sure that we're protecting the hobby from people that might come in and be trying to produce information more to, you know, create a persona for themselves than to actually benefit the hobby. Obviously, the people are going to go out there and make mistakes. That's not what I'm talking about. It's it's the ones that go out and try to present themselves as something they're not and in the meantime are spreading bad information. That's that's something we don't need. So, again, I know this is a bit of negative, but hopefully some of you found it kind of funny, some of the stuff in there. There's um, one coming up in which the person talks about how G. Porteri is one of the communal species. We'll get to that at some point. And that'll be it for this one, though. I think, uh, obviously, if we're going to give this book, you know, say we're rating it to five stars, I would give it minus five stars. It's, it's counterproductive. It's not, even, it's not even something I'd give zero stars. It's, it's negative. If you get this book and follow this book, you're going to end up with dead and, and unhappy spiders. So that's my rating on that one. We're going negative. Um, so that'll about do it for this one. Again, I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you guys want to hear more of these, I do have more books I'd like to cover, and it's kind of fun in a way, and, it, and it's cathartic for me because I do hear a lot of nonsense. I do get approached with a lot of nonsense that people get from other so-called experts. And again, I do not consider myself an expert. I've got experience. I'm fairly well read. I try to be open-minded and I keep a lot of species, but I am in no shape or form an expert. I want to make that very, very clear, nor am I uh, a professional. I'm a professional teacher. And that's why I think I like doing these videos and podcasts and, and the articles, but I'm not a professional tarantula keeper. But there are a lot of people out there that like to make it like they are, and we just got to make sure we're skeptical, we do our research, and we police ourselves, because if we don't, we're going to get more books like this and more people killing tarantulas because somebody wants to make a name for themselves or a quick buck. So that'll do it for this one. Um, as always, I have the tarantula uh, the tarantula, yeah, the YouTube channel, Tom's Big Spiders or Tom Moran. You can find Tom's Big Spiders online. I will catch all of you next time. <laughs>